We are by default intense people. When we are stimulated with our libraries, we are good. We are able to dive into these worlds. But otherwise, we we are constantly calculating and trying to overcome the unknown. Episode 6, Lemony Snicket is Autistic. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. So today I want to talk about Lemony Snicket and a series of unfortunate events, because I think that a series of unfortunate events has uh, somehow captured the spirit of the best of autistic culture. And I really, really, really love to talk about this kind of stuff. I get to I get to really like learn a thing. I have not seen any of this. So and I think oh. it's a book, too. Isn't it also a book? It, it's a series of 13 books, plus uh, a few ancillary books, plus uh, a series of prequel books. But but anyway, so the the long story short about this. Yeah. Give me the give me the setup. So I've got the context. So. The, the series of unfortunate events uh, centers around the Baudelaire children, Sonny, Klaus, and Violet Baudelaire. And they are children with pleasant facial features. They are very, very smart children. They are, they are delightful. Violet is the oldest child, and she is an inventor. She loves inventing things on the spur of the moment. She will uh, get the creative impulse, tie her hair back with a ribbon, and then go to town and build whatever is needed at the time. Okay, so that's a little autistic culture right there. We love a little inventing. Exactly. Klaus is a researcher. He loves researching new things. He loves pouring through books and maps and finding solutions in books. Ah, that's my guy. Very much. And then there's Sunny, who is just a baby. Uh, She, whereas... The, the eldest two children are hyperlexic, a word which here means using a great many words. Sunny is just a baby and very uh, limited in her vocabulary. The, the eldest children understand her, but the others don't. Mm. And this is a common theme among 
all the books in that there are some trustworthy adults, but there are a lot of adults who are not to be trusted. And the ones who are not to be trusted do not understand her at all. And initially, she's a big stimmer. She chews on a lot of stuff, but she, as the books go on and as she grows up, she becomes a chef. Because chef, a chef is a combination of research and invention because you must learn about the materials and then how to put them to good use. And throughout the books, the books start off uh, at a a very sad day at a, a very overcast beach in which the children find that their parents have been murdered in a fire. So throughout the books, throughout the series, they find that... Uh, Someone has been responsible for this, and they get shuffled from guardian to guardian, some good, some evil, and find out that Count Olaf, uh, the villain of the story, is responsible for their parents' murder. He wants their fortune, and he, he stops at nothing to get it. But in the process, they find out that their parents were a member of a secret organization called VFD, the Volunteer Fire Department. Because the the thing about all this is that the VFD is responsible for putting out fires both literally and figuratively, and they are a, a group of well-learned people, all of which have their own private libraries, all of which are dedicated to research and the promotion of information, the promotion of knowledge, and they, they all work to make the world a better place, but there was a schism back in the day in which some members of VFD decided this was not a good mission, so their mission is to burn down the libraries of the world. Oh, book burning again, Matt. You know how this gets to me. Exactly. I'm not here for the book burning. <laughs> and that's the thing about this, because this story goes throughout their lives. And as they learn more about the secret organizations, as they learn more about their parents, as they learn more about themselves and in doing so, they learn about how the world works. And sometimes the world can be a very depressing place. Sometimes the world can be a very great and enlightened place. And they have to learn who to trust, who to avoid. And this is one of my great quotes uh, in the world, because it this comes uh, in the middle of one of the later books, because they, they come across another mysterious person. And they say, well, I don't know, we've met a bunch of really bad people in the past. Should we trust you? And Quigley Quagmire, a uh, another of a triplet, uh, another child, a triplet, says this quote to them. Okay, this is it. I love it. I know that having a good vocabulary doesn't guarantee that I'm a good person, but it does mean I've read a great deal. And in my experience, well-read people are less likely to be evil. You know, I agree with that one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So the thing about all this, the thing that makes this incredibly autistic is based again on our hyperconnected brains and our monotropism and our need for information acquisition. We love learning. We love sharing knowledge. One of our biggest things is being able to info dump. Uh, hence, the reason that we listen to podcasts. Hence, yes. the reason that we seek out new and novel information. Because our brains are hungry and we need to learn. But I also think this is a great double empathy quote. 
because I know when I'm with an autistic person, even if their special interest is, I don't know, starfish, which I know nothing about, I suddenly trust them more, maybe subconsciously or whatever. I have empathy for them. I'm like, I get them because they've just spent a thousand hours reading about starfish. I've spent a thousand hours reading about my thing of the moment. And so when in this quote, it says, well, well-read people are less likely to be evil. I actually do not have empirical data. That's true. But from a double empathy perspective, it feels true. Like, yes. it, like other autistic people that... Uh, we have that in common. So I, I have a more of a tendency maybe to trust them. And then on the opposite side, when someone is neurotypical, they might distrust me because why did she spend 10,000 hours reading about crowded house and obscure band in Australia? Like exactly. exactly. You're a weird lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's uh, so out of all the things that neurotypicals know about us, the quote little professors uh, is thrown around the most because that is who we are. We need to learn everything that there is to know about our area of special interest. Uh, we we again, we are massive, massive researchers. And for us, if if. If it's worth knowing, it's worth knowing everything about. And one of the things that, again, I love, I love working with autistic people because of this ability to info dump. Because, uh, for instance, I, I once worked with a kid and this kid would research everything that there was to know about sharks. And he could tell you. Uh, the lengths, average lengths of sharks, the lifespan of sharks, everything, every bit of data he soaked up. And one day uh, I see him and I say, so how's the shark research going? And he said, oh, well, I've put that on hold. Right now I'm moving on to iguanas because I've run out of information on sharks. I, I, I got to the bottom of the Internet. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, exactly. Because we always need a source of fresh new information. So I was at a bar, like a pub, like a neighborhood pub in Oxford. And we were seated next to a mom and her son. Son looked to be like maybe eight years old. And he had a stack of books in front of him on German tanks. Oh, fantastic. I literally know nothing about German tanks, but sort of like this quote that says, well-read people are less likely to be evil. I see this kid. I'm like, dude, German tanks. What's the best one? And he was like, tiger tanks. Here's everything about tiger tanks. And then I, now I know things about German tanks. Exactly. And I love exactly. this kid. He exactly. was like, hey, his mom's like, uh, is he bothering you? I'm like, no, tell me everything about German tanks. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Nothing beats a good, passionate info dump because oh, we can learn so much. Yeah. And from any age. I mean, this kid was eight, but he definitely knew more than me. I'm sure your shark guy has me beat on sharks unless it's singing baby shark do 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 like yeah. that's my shark knowledge right there that's the thing that's the thing and that's that's what is and this is the thing about the books because the, these children are very, very smart. They are very learned. They love spending time in libraries and they soak up data. And the adults in their lives 
often discount them because they think, oh, they're just kids. They don't know what is going on. Uh, the the guy who's put in charge of their fortune, Mr. Poe, is a banker. He, he often just refuses to listen to them because he writes them off as children. Uh, various guardians throughout their life write them off because they're kids. And this is a big thing about being an autistic kid because uh, autistic kids tend to be very savvy in some areas. I mean, we might be naive in social areas, but again, due to the research, we we understand a lot of stuff because that's how our brains are wired. We mm. love soaking up this stuff. Yeah. And yeah. So this, I know, I don't know if he was involved with the film, but the author is Daniel Handler, right? Yes. Do you, like, do you think there was something about autistic culture that inspired him to to write Lemony Snicket? Or do you think we could just see autistic culture represented there and get to enjoy it? Based on everything, because again, <laughs> it is my solemn duty to research the lives of the Baudelaire children. And uh, so he was very, he was... He so there's two versions uh, on film. One was a a movie with Jim Carrey in the early 2000s. He did the initial, let's say, 57 uh, versions of the script, and then the studio just decided, no, let's have other people rewrite it, and it was a lackluster performance. Mm. Uh, but the Netflix series, he was very very involved, and he wrote several episodes himself, and. In doing so, uh, it was sort of a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy-esque revision of it, where things became more polished and things became more involved. And despite it being translated to the screen, for instance, the books have a great number of puzzles in them and codes and uh, other literary devices that don't work as well on the screen, but they make for some delightful reading. But when he's translated to the screen and you know doing all this kind of stuff, even the cadence and rhythm of speech uh, is very, very autistic centered uh, because uh, it's it's very, very cool. Uh, the, the, the delivery, Patrick Warburton plays Lemony Snicket in the series, and he has a very, very constant uh, monotone speech pattern reflective of someone who might be playing an autistic person recounting all of these details. And I find that delightful. I, I, it seems to be a very intentional choice based on Patrick Warburton's other uh, roles. Although it is interesting that Patrick Warburton played the Tick and Ben Edlund was very big on autistic representation with Sewer Urchin in the Tick comics. Uh, well, not comics, but the original uh, cartoon. But that's a whole other thing. But uh, yeah, uh, the, the kids also have very, very monotone, pedantic speech throughout the series, which is uh, a big sign of autistic communication. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris plays Count Olaf, their arch nemesis. Okay. And uh, he's also an executive producer. He was very, very invested in getting this right. And boy, he went all out. Uh, he also gave a, a very good performance as to why Count Olaf was disillusioned with the VFD and actively turned against wisdom and knowledge and information and let his own library fall apart and became part of the book burners rather than the book readers. But 
again, that's part of rejection sensitivity dysphoria. That's a very, very common thing for autistic people, that when we are let down by the people that we care about, when we feel betrayed by the world around us, we, we isolate, we reject, we, we, we fall apart. And that in itself is a very, very interesting. Plus, he wears various costumes. He masks throughout. Oh, uh, let's talk about masking. How does oh, he mask? Oh, absolutely. Uh, quite literally. Uh, uh, he, he puts on various costumes throughout the series, uh, tries to, uh, but even more so, he hides his true feelings about all this because again he he goes into the role as a villain uh and just plays up being a villain he has a a a a, a, a cast of hench people of wide variety but the hench people are not actually evil they're a bunch of misunderstood uh people who the world has hurt and throughout the series, of course, they're all presented initially as being evil. But once you know their backstories and once you know why they've rejected the world, they all become more sympathetic and more layered, just like Count Olaf, which is interesting at the end because, OK, so throughout throughout the series, right, uh, they go and uh, when they're initially placed with Count Olaf, he wants to get their fortune. Their neighbor is Justice Strauss, and she has a remarkable library. And uh, this is one of Justice Strauss's quotes. Okay, Justice Strauss. A library is like an island in the middle of a vast sea of ignorance, particularly if the library is very tall and the surrounding area has been flooded. Oh, well, okay, I'm ready for the floods. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing, because they find solace by going to this library, because even when they're in a terrible situation, they can go to her library and come back to the world of literature, come back to the world of information. And this is a quote that actually repeats itself, and there's recurring themes related to this. In the second book, they go to live with a distant relative, Dr. Montgomery, who has a herpetarium with a very large snake uh, who, with a misnomer, the incredibly deadly viper. Right. Uh, and it's essentially a very huge boa constrictor that looks very fearsome, but is actually more or less a giant dog. Like a goofy puppy viper. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. And at the end, uh, so there is this big conspiracy throughout about this deadly fungus and the seek for uh, they're seeking for a cure for this. And the cure happens to be an apple because it's been specifically bred to uh, have properties that cure uh, the, the poisoning from this deadly mycelium. So anyway, at the end of it, when the kids are all succumbing to this, the incredibly deadly viper comes to them with an apple, which subverts the whole Adam and Eve, uh, this knowledge, and that knowledge saves them. It's the reverse tree of knowledge. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing, because that is the way of our people. Knowledge saves us. Knowledge is who we are. We need this in order to survive. We need this in order to have uh, uh, peace. And uh, it's it's fantastic to see the, the subversion of this. And and even in the end of it, Count Olaf bites from the apple and ends up saving Lemony Snicket's sister's child. Uh, and 
it does some good acts because he he finally comes to terms with a, with his past and becomes a decent person at the end. And that's the thing about knowledge. We love it. It's it's important. It's important for bonding and it saves us. We need these libraries. Libraries are our safe places. And I, I should have actually brought this over uh, so that I could show it on camera. But at the at the beginning, at, at the entrance of my own library, because I'm coming to you from my library. You're clearly coming to here from your library. That's how we roll. Yeah. Mm. The VFD, the good guys, have a, a, a motto. The world is quiet here. And that's mm. how you know. If someone says, I didn't know this was a sad occasion, and you respond, the world is quiet here, you know that they are a person to be trusted. And at the, the, at the doorway of all of their grand libraries, you see the world is quiet here because this is our safe place. This is our library. Libraries are safe places where we can go to learn and be engaged and have peace. Yeah. So uh, the VFD, does Count Olaf end up joining the VFD, rejoining the VFD at the end? What happens? Oh, he dies a horrible death from oh. uh, being uh, 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 it, it was a, so. OK, so. Okay. This, yeah. Yeah. Uh, th there was a, a thing about, uh, you know, a, a distant island and Ishmael, uh, who wants people to call him Ish, because, again, there's a Call lot me of ish. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of literary references throughout the series to you know Moby Dick, Anna Karenina, uh, all sorts of neat stuff, and and that's the thing because this is written towards a young adult audience, mm. but the young adults reading such dense literature, that's our people. This is the people that have a giant stack of books about. Uh, German artillery uh, yes. who get these references or want to know the references and go out and seek them further. And it's, it's just amazing to have all this. We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that LPP, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowrylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy, Matt. Another thing about us, because of our hyperconnected brain, so our hyperconnected brain picks up way more sensory data than neurotypical people do. Neurotypical people, uh, allistics, tune out 98% of all sensory data because they have a sensory bottleneck, uh, because of the way that their brains uh, have a chemical that dissolves 
unused synapses. So they're constantly in this state of pruning, especially during puberty, where synaptic pruning kicks in and they lose half of all of their synapses. We don't do that. So we are constantly bombarded by chaos. We are constantly trying to make sense of this chaos. Our brains process 40% more information at rest than their brains do. Wow. So because of this chaos, our greatest fear is the unknown. Our greatest obstacle is the unknown. And in a series of unfortunate events, the greatest monster that they face is called the great unknown. Yeah. It's some sort of sea beast that uh, looks like a seahorse. But when you see it on radar, it's a gigantic question mark. And every time the gigantic question mark comes around, there's this ominous sense of doom because we can't deal with the great unknown. And that that is a big, big mm. theme in both the books and our lives, because this is where our anxieties come from. Yeah. One of the well, first of all, one of my least favorite pieces of advice I would always get in the workplace right before I was fired was just breathe. I'm on it. I'm on it. I didn't think of that one. Thanks for your help or advice. And and the other thing is. I would hear people talk about how like count to 10 and like all these meditation tools. And I felt like these must work for other people. Like, am I crazy because these tools don't work for me? But if I'm in my library, that it's quiet here. Or for me also, if I'm writing and I like have note cards and organization systems that's what makes me caught sitting quietly and breathing just like there's more great question mark in my head. And that does not regulate my nervous system. And so many professionals yes. and well-meaning friends and bosses would give me advice that was actually counter to what made me feel better, which just made me feel worse. Like it just exacerbated that. And like now yeah. I'm at a place where I can say like, oh, that's a great tool for some people. For me, writing is a better tool. Like I'm going to go take a break and do some writing. But being able to say that takes so much confidence and clarity and probably a good therapist like you. And I definitely spent a lot of time in therapy. It just doesn't come naturally because so many people are telling you, just breathe. Oh, this is the other one I get that I would say, chill. No, not at all. That does not we, make we me chill. We are by default intense people. And this this is the thing, because when we are stimulated with our libraries, we are good. We are able to dive into these worlds. But otherwise, we 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 are constantly calculating and trying to overcome the unknown. And this is the sinister part about like ABA, because when you have kids who are anxious and kids who are fidgety and kids who, you know, have all these other differences from the norm and you have adults coming in and forcing them to act like other kids, to act like things don't bother them, to put their own needs out of their mind in favor of social compliance. That's the sinister part about all this because it teaches children that their needs don't matter and that they are different and that they are weird and that they should be ashamed and hide their true selves instead of, again, embracing us and finding things that work for them. And this is where autistic-centered therapy comes in because instead of going, you know, in a neurotypical way and 
neurotypical therapy is largely based on overcoming irrational fears, irrational beliefs, irrational, all this stuff. With us, we are constantly evaluating the variables and we may or may not get you know the evaluation right, but we are constantly looking at all this potential calamity in the world. We are looking at all this potential... Unfortunate events. Exactly. <laughs> and we must find ways. And this is why the Baudelaire's are fantastic. And this is why... Even though the series is literally a series of unfortunate events, and there are a lot of terrible things that happen. And Lemony Snicket continually warns people that if you're looking for a happy book, look somewhere else, because uh, this book does not have a happy ending. It does not have a happy beginning, and there are very few things that are happy in the middle. But that's the thing about it, because regardless of what happens to the Baudelaire's, they find ways to overcome the tragedies they find ways to overcome and work through so literally i mentioned at the beginning of this episode i hadn't read the book but i did not confess to you my reason for not reading the book which is the title a series of unfortunate events i'm like i cannot tolerate that i've always i've had it i own the series somebody gave me um somebody gave me the books i like the cover i like thinking about it i know about it but i actually have a little bit of an irrational fear of reading it because one of my things yes. is children in peril so like there's that part in I think it's episode two of Star Wars with the oh, Jedi yes. school. I can't talk about it. They kill all the kids. I literally went screaming out of the theater and was in a two-week autistic meltdown. I think that scene happens 14 minutes in. And then Jurassic Park, same thing, ran out of the theater, insisted it should be rated X, wrote letters to the editor of my newspaper. Like, children in peril, my nervous system cannot do. Yeah. Yeah. At all. There's that other oh, Game yeah. of Thrones people are into. They kill like a 14-year-old boy in the first 30 seconds. I'm like, nope, not for me. Cannot do Children in Peril. So I see those three little kids and the name of it. And then Count Olaf, who looks really mean and scary, even oh, though yeah. I love NPH. And I'm like, I know I'm not going to be able to handle this. And I've had so many people tell me it's just a movie. It's just a book. It's just a whatever But it might be, but I literally, life is beautiful. I had to take two weeks off of work. It's not just a movie for my synapses or something. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing with (laughs) us. So when we talk about autistic relationships, I talk about the three F's, friends, family, and fictional characters. Yes, yes, correct. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because again, due to our hyperconnected neurology, When we read, when we experience, it's real to us. Those feelings are real. We know that they're fictional. We are aware that they are fictional, but the feelings are real. Uh, There's an episode of The Simpsons where Lisa comes in looking sad and Marge says, oh, what happened, honey? Did something happen to one of your fictional characters? Yeah, I get that so well. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing about this. And that's that's why, again, yeah, the, the series can be off-putting for that but that's it's the resiliency of the kids it's the Mm. you you do feel that they are put into these terrible situations and even for us because 
autistic people, we are more likely to experience loneliness because we are born into a world that doesn't understand us, doesn't properly support us, doesn't give us the resources we need. And if if you're born into a family that has internalized ableism, I so I find that holistic culture has a mentality of have you tried just suffering? Because right. everyone says, oh, yes, work is terrible. You should just go to work. Oh, yes, school is terrible. You should just go to school. Just stop complaining. Everyone hurts all the time instead of finding a way that works. But but again, these there are a lot of events in all this. For instance, uh, when they are sent to a, uh, a boarding school, Vice Principal Nero, again, all sorts Great of name. historical references. <laughs> yeah. uh, he is he's a terrible person that does not understand them, and uh, they have to deal with bullies, and they have to deal with Count Olaf as a gym teacher, and all of oh, these no. things that remind by us... By the way, gym teachers I am still tortured by. I can name every single one. Exactly, exactly. Not a good scene for me. <laughs> because they would much rather be in the library instead of running in a circle because there's no point of running in a circle. And they, Lemony Snicket finds a way to bring out all of this stuff and to bring all of this stuff to the forefront. And indeed, there are some very, very harrowing situations. But every single time, they use their faculties, they use their research, they use their invention to find a way through that. And that is the way of our people because that is our greatest strength. That is the greatest strength of our culture because no matter how people try to stamp us down, we find ways to pull through. And that is the, that is the success of being a healthy autistic person. We might escape into our libraries. We might escape into our media. We might escape into our own brains, but we use our brains to get through these terrible, terrible situations. We, we fight ABA, we fight discrimination, we find loneliness, but we know that even though we might feel alone, there are other researchers out there. There are other inventors out there. There are other seekers of knowledge. We find libraries and herpetariums and museums and gardens and animals. We find, we know that the world can be a very, very disheartening place, but we also know that there are sources of good. We also know that there are sources of help, that there are other other members of VFD out there working to yeah. make the world a better place. And these these kids, like even though they had each other, but that feeling of kids being on their own, I mean, I'm almost 50 and I still feel that way. Exactly. It's like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm, I've been working on uh, this project where I've been asked to join a board. And I know if I join this board, I'm going to be like those kids, yeah. right? It's like, I'm going to be the one autistic person. And I can either not talk about being autistic, which will make them feel better, or I can talk about it, but they're still going to come up with stories about me like she's using autism as an excuse or isn't everybody a little bit autistic or she doesn't seem autistic to me. She makes eye contact. She makes eye contact. Yeah. And so I'm like, do I even want to put myself into that world? Like it feels safer here, but I also want to do things. 
I want to experience things. Same thing with clients. Like a lot of my clients are holistic. And so I have a policy or a coping tool or whatever where I share my autistic identity and culture, but I can't control them from agreeing with me on my perspective about it. They could disagree that I am autistic. They could disagree. Many of them disagree that autism exists. Yeah. Um, one of my best friends is always like, I don't think labels help anyone. We oh. don't need labels. You got that one? You know that one? I've heard that one frequently. And so, and then, you know, a lot of the people I work with are like, you can overcome it. And that's like really interesting to me too. I don't want to overcome it. No. But I'd like you to understand it. And they're like, well, if you don't want to overcome it, then it's your obligation to act more like us. There are more of us. So Uh. with masking, and we started talking about this with Count Olaf, but it's like, like masking can be protective. Sometimes I make a conscious choice to mask. And I know there's a really popular book that came out recently from when we're recording this. I haven't read it yet, but I did order it, Unmasking. Oh, yes. So, and I often talk about living an unmasked life, but the truth is like unmasking has its own downsides. It has upsides. It has definitely helped with my burnout because masking is exhausting. It is. It's like, I don't know, wearing a diving uh, suit at the middle of a cocktail party, right? Like uh, Count Olaf, I think maybe did or something. Uh, it, it actually pops up in the series. Yes. But go on. Like that's tiring walking around. But at the same token, it's also tiring having people think you can fix it or think you can act different or giving you advice or telling or talking to you about goddamn vaccines, yeah. which we're not going to talk about on here. Yeah. Like, So what do you think about unmasking? How to, when to, what do you tell your clients around this? Uh, Actually, throughout the series, the children learn to mask and learn to hide themselves because they go on the run uh, because, you know, they're framed for various things so they can no longer be the Baudelaire's. So they, they, Mm. they learn from Count Olaf to hide themselves in order to survive. And that, that, is a thing for us because I've experienced that myself. When I when I first started working in community mental health at the beginning of my real career, I had a supervisor and I decided that I was going to start a group for autistic kids, right? And I worked in the schools and I got autistic kids and we had a great group that I called Sigma Group. I named all of my groups after Greek letters. Greek so that, letters? So that all the kids would have a code name for the group and it would be super Love cool because they were able to say, I'm in Sigma Group, I'm in Alpha Group, I'm in Delta mm-hmm. Group. And no one would know what that means except for the other members. And it was a secret code that they felt really cool about and they advertised it. And that's other kids wanted to be in the groups because kids of a feather find each other and that I mixed a metaphor on that one but anyway kids of a feather find each other sure we're in yeah yeah but so I went to my supervisor and uh, they she asked how things were going and I said because back in the day uh, back in the mid 2000s Asperger's was still in vogue because it, it was before we found out that Hans Asperger was a Nazi yeah. Uh, so I, up until that, that point, thing. up until that point, I referred to myself as 
being an Aspie. Aspie. Because, I know, you know I was the sassy Aspie. Before I was the linguistic autistic, I was the sassy Aspie. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I, I said, oh, yeah, my Aspie group is going well. And she said, Matt, you can't say that word. I was like, what word? Aspie. I was like, well, I'm Aspie. So, I mean, that's that's how I identify. And she said, Matt, that's like calling yourself a retard. My my clinical supervisor said that when I refer to myself in my chosen language, it's equating it with a slur. So I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, Matt, you're able to talk, so you're clearly not uh, autistic. So you, you shouldn't tell people that. And I was like, okay, I'll just mask forever. Thanks. Sure, and, thanks. And of course, that led to an intense burnout. And when I went to another placement, uh, another uh, job, I, I masked from day one. And, you know, when they asked about my experience with autistic kids, I was like, oh, yes, I've worked with autistic people before. And and I had to do psychological evaluations that were dependent on like IQ and wow. because there was this belief that low IQ meant autism. There was this belief that a lack of theory of mind meant autism. Oh. So I had to do testing that showed uh, theory of mind. If they had theory of mind, then they couldn't be autistic. Because, again, this double empathy Which problem. is ridiculous yes. because that means that people who needed services weren't getting them or you had to lie and say that they didn't have theory of mind so they would get the services they needed. How's that for a catch-22? Exactly. So I... Did you lie? I would have lied. I I didn't... I, I, I did evaluations to the best of my ability until they just stopped giving me autism evaluations because they said, Matt, these kids aren't autistic. I, I had a kid that I knew wow. from my prior career that came to seek me out for a diagnosis because clearly autistic, a big researcher. And they said, no, Matt, he's not autistic. He makes eye contact. And so I just I got incredibly burned out. And that's when I started, you know, planning my own practice because mm. I couldn't deal with that sort of discrimination anymore. And, and that's the thing, because neurotypical people, holistic people don't even know that that they're being discriminatory. There was an issue online a couple of weeks ago where someone uh, said something about, I just hate info dumps. I just zone out. And I said, well, mm -hmm. maybe you should transfer those clients to someone else. And then everyone said that I was incredibly rude for suggesting such a thing because we, we could tell when people are zoned out. It, 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 it affects us when we see right. that our therapist, the person that we're paying to listen to us, is not interested in our lives. It hurts us. I know the eyes glazed over look. I got yeah. it. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm like, I'm being too autistic right now and you're bored. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that causes got us it. to mask instead of being genuine and working on stuff. And it's just this. This Especially is Especially in a therapeutic context. Yes. Like maybe if you're in a job interview. Uh, and you need a job could be a good time to mask. Yes. Right? Is there ever a good time to mask? Uh, I, I I don't think that neurotypical neurology, I don't think that a, a holistic neurology is capable of handling us at our truest self. Because, again, let's say holistic small talk, again, is based largely on echolocation to say, uh -uh, 
Are you fine? I am fine. I am fine. Are you fine? I am fine. Nothing. Person, finding person, yes. signaling in on human, human life. Human life has been found. Exactly. <laughs> There's no significant exchange there, but it's necessary for them to feel comfortable. But with us, when we come up to someone and say, hey, I've been learning about glass blowing. Glass blowing, you say? Tell me about glass blowing. Yeah, I'm like, I want to know about glass blowing. Let's go. Exactly. This mutual <laughs> info better. dump is the way of our people. And mm. uh, it's we just can't relate in the way. And in order to maintain this polite civility, we we need to meet them where they are. But they they can't do the same thing for us because of their own. And it's not their fault. I mean, it's just neurological limitations because they're not wired the same way that we are. Mm. And I, I think that there are occasions to be polite. For instance, you know, the whole I don't blow my nose at the dinner table, even though I really need to blow my nose. But uh, right. it's 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 not going full true self. Right. But when we do find our true people, when we find others like us, oh my God, that's an oasis. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, check out Angela's work at differencepress.com. Differencepress.com and find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. So I don't know if I was talking to you about this, but there's a book that I got super excited about. It's by a guy named Mike Robbins, and it's called Bring Your Whole Self to Work. Ah. And when I read this book, when I read this book title, I was like, this is what we need. I agree 100%. And then this delightful author is uh, definitely holistic, and he's a sports guy. There's Uh. a lot of sports metaphors. And what he means is bring your whole self to work as long as you're neurotypical and I'm comfortable being around you and maybe holistic. Maybe there's a little wiggle room for... Let's say a touch of ADHD on a Tuesday. But <laughs> here are my boundaries for how I would like you to bring your whole self to work. And one of the rules is you will call this being fully expressed and authentic, even if it's not, because that makes me feel better. Yeah. And I was like, this is really tricky. Bring your whole self to work when you're autistic and work at Industrial Light and Magic in 1979. Yeah. Is very different than bring your whole self to work when you work at Procter and Gamble and you're autistic and you're an engineer, but you work in a group with a whole bunch of sales guys. Yeah. Because you're a sales engineer and they're all neurotypical sales guys talking about cars and beer. Like, when should I bring my whole self to work? How much of my whole self should I? Tell me more, Mike Robbins, and your delightful book. So I do think they mean well. He definitely wrote this book from a place of, wouldn't it be amazing if everybody showed up at work fully expressed? Yeah. Just no ability to see my being fully expressed might not be as delightful for you as you're imagining in your limited scenarios. That's that's the um, thing. They just they cannot process 
they they don't have the circuitry to deal with us at our at our authentic selves. Right. So don't fall for that trap, y'all, when people are telling you that. Um, I also want to talk about uh, EQ, emotional <laughs> quotient. But before we get to the hyper ableist EQ, I would like you to tell me a little more about Sunny uh. and uh, the part of autistic culture. I, obviously, I'm on the hyperlexic side, um, but not everyone in our culture likes words as much as I do, and that's, or speaking them anyway. <laughs> so this is the biggest thing that uh, allistics do not understand about us, because they they the allistic world decides that the ability to speak denotes intelligence, and indeed. You must be fairly intelligent to use words well, but the inability to speak does not mean that someone lacks intelligence or lacks empathy or lacks awareness. And there are a great no- so okay, so our brains are what we have what we call idiosyncratic connections, meaning that no two autistic brains are wired in the same way, and some people's brains uh, just do not have the the wiring necessary to produce fluent verbal speech. But that doesn't mean that they're not processing. That doesn't mean that they don't understand. That doesn't mean that they don't hear the words, understand them completely, and are able to respond in kind. And these people, these non-speaking people, can have rich connectivity through other ways, uh, through even texting is is a manner. A lot of autistic people rely on AAC devices, uh, talkers, in order to have a series of images that they can tap on and create fluent sentences through stringing these ideas together. My own son is a gestalt language processor, meaning that he is largely echolalic. If if he hears a phrase that he likes, he can repeat that phrase back and get the idea across. Uh, while he was here over fall break, uh, we were playing Halloween music and we would be singing Ghostbusters and uh, I would be singing Ghostbusters and he said, no. And he didn't want me to sing. He wanted to listen to the music. And I said, oh, you just want to listen? He said, just listen. So now, because of his gestalt language processing, he has taken that phrase and anytime he doesn't want interference, he says, no, just listen. Just listen. If, if uh, he's trying to put on his coat and you offer to help zip it up, he'll say, no, just listen. And again, he gets the message across. And this is the same with Sunny because she is uh, largely uh, holophrastic, meaning that Ooh, she will... Fr- I don't know that oh, word. Uh, holophrastic mm-hmm. is where a single word uh, denotes an entire idea. For instance, oh. like... Uh, when the uh, children have to prepare a meal for Count Olaf and his uh, acting troupe, uh, she might say Putinesca and say, oh, yes, we are preparing a meal of pasta and Putinesca sauce. And the kids 
understand it that you know the idea that she's getting across but to adults who don't get it they just think that she's babbling and throughout right. the series she expresses very complex thoughts through this holophrastic speech saying a single word to denote an entire series of ideas which is quite brilliant and again this is the way that autistic non-speakers are able to communicate uh, without the assistance of technology and they're they're very very adept they're they're thinking things through they understand what you're asking what they need to be done but allistics take this as a, a lack of intelligence and this is why iq testing oh god iq testing is largely bullshit when it comes to autism evaluations because number one uh, hyperverbal people like us hyperlexic people uh we might do poorly on a timed math test because we become anxious about the unknown how much time do we have left oh we have 30 seconds oh no that means i only have 28 seconds left oh no 25 seconds to solve this problem i only have 20 yes. seconds left and then you're in my brain yeah, yeah it spirals out of control <laughs> And because our processing speed is dependent upon the ways that we answer these questions, we, we end up with lower IQ scores than we might otherwise have. And people who are non-speaking are unable to complete the verbal tasks. So therefore, the, research, the, the, the people doing the testing might say, oh, well, you can't speak. So therefore, you must not have any intelligence. And it's very, very ableist in the way that this is done. Also, IQ testing in itself is fairly ableist because the original IQ tests, uh, feel free to look it up, uh, were designed to keep Jewish people out of the military. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There was a lot of questions about baseball because, uh, again, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it. And this is this is fact. Please look it up because, again, research, uh, it's it's horrifying because such a history of ableism, such a history of all of this. And that's the reason why we need autistic advocacy to bring this light to the world, to bring this understanding, to educate people. And even though holistics may not understand us and may not accept us because they just they don't they cannot understand us other autistic people will say oh oh so i am fairly smart i spent my entire life thinking that i was not and they 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 understand they see themselves and we reach out and we find other people like a beacon in the darkness yeah yeah i think that's why i actually think autism is dramatically underdiagnosed and why telling the stories of our culture are so important because when people listen and they're like, wait, that's me, that's yes. me. My teacher pulled me out in the hallway and told me to act like everyone else. Like I have people telling me all the time, just breathe. It drives me crazy when people tell me to, you know, take three deep breaths and calm down. Like yeah. when you hear these stories, if you just hear one, that doesn't mean you're diagnosed. But if you're hearing a lot of these stories, this is the beacon calling you you can you can do self-diagnosis there are tools online to help you identify it there are obviously therapists like matt who will help you with a diagnosis it can be hard to get in to get diagnosed but just know at least for me maybe you have some other words of professional ca caution but as an autistic person for me when I started seeing these little signals and beacons and I was like, oh my God, that might be me. That might be me. I heard this podcast 
podcast, I read this book. Um, the first thing I heard was a story on uh, This American Life, the the podcast. It was a radio show then. Um, and David Finch was on there talking about his journal of best practices. And I was like, what is this book? Who is this guy? Why does he sound like me? That is not a diagnosis, but that is a definitely, I think, a sign that you might resonate with this culture. And I think it's worth exploring because it changes the frame that you view everything through. Absolutely. And but like uh, the VFT, the volunteer fire department, when when you find an organization, when you find a group of like-minded people, you fit in. All of a sudden, the world makes sense to you. All of a sudden, the world seems more manageable. And when the world is more manageable, you can work to change the world. And uh, when we were talking earlier about Daniel Handler working on the TV show and making some edits and revising his own work, one of the greatest additions is this quote. And I would like to say it because I, I find it fantastic. Okay. <laughs> At the end of the first episode, episode of the Netflix series, Lemony Snicket talks to the camera and says that even though there are people out there causing fires and burning things and being terrible, trouble and strife can cover this world like the dark of night or like smoke from a suspicious fire. And when that happens, all good, true and decent people know that it's time to volunteer. Mm. And that is our... We're volunteering. Exactly. That's our show. Exactly. Welcome to the VFD, everybody. And yeah, I, I think that that's, that's what we need to do. Uh, so, Angela, I guess that uh, means that it's our time to uh, ask, what is your favorite part about being autistic this week? Well, here's a fun little story. Uh, I have been tracking the crazy mortgage rates. Oh, yeah. And all of the things that are happening in the financial markets right now. And I went down the most bizarre rabbit hole of these financial guys that track maps of the markets and rates and they compare all this data, like so much data, I know they're autistic. And they track these maps to predict what's going to happen. I'm in the middle of trying to buy a house. And so I'm trying to predict. And I Fighting found the great unknown. Oh, my God. I am trying to fight the great unknown. And I found all these charts and graphs. And then I was looking at them and they made like. They didn't make perfect sense to me. That's a stretch. But in a maybe in a gestalt way, they made they they the concepts made sense. And I knew I could eventually get there. And so I'm learning this. I'm going down this rabbit hole. And um, then I had another meeting not connected to this at all. And a guy who is running the meeting, who is definitely neurotypical, made a reference to these guys and these charts because they must be having a moment right now because the markets are so crazy. And so he made a reference to it and he was 100% being derogatory. But A, I was thrilled that I got the reference, but B, I was thrilled that I got why he thought all of their research was so crazy. Like, are you literally trying to make sense of the unknown? Like, <sighs> that's a little silly, don't you think? 
So I love being able to see both worlds and to flex my muscle in both worlds and then to dive into somebody else's autistic research so I don't need to do it. So Exactly. Yes, that that's that is beautiful. I love that. Yeah. So lots of lots of crazy stuff in the markets, but luckily um, there's numbers and charts and graphs, and where there are numbers and charts and graphs, autistics will not be far behind. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in licensed psychological practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. Thank you.